0: Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, taking an in-depth look at the book of 1 Peter. The first letter of Peter was written to Christ followers who were scattered throughout the known world. They were learning to live out their faith in a whole new world. Peter doesn't want them to be surprised by suffering and persecution. He wants them to see those things as an opportunity to live out their faith. As we study this book together, we'll learn that no matter what happens, we have a God who cares for us and we have the hope that we will one day be with him. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning. We wanna welcome everybody who's joining us here in our Granby campus as well as our online campus. We're glad you're here and we hope you'll come back and join us again next week. We're going through the uh, book of 1 Peter, and today I want to start with a a thought. Uh, Dr. M. Scott Peck wrote a profoundly simple statement that puts all humans on alert. He wrote, life is difficult. You know, it's so true and it's so universal. For for all of us, we experience the difficulty of life. But for followers of Jesus, we have to recognize that there are two kinds of difficulties. First, there's the difficulty because you're a human being, and all human beings... uh, all of us experience difficulties. There may be health difficulties. There may be relationship difficulties. There may be children difficulties, money difficulties, job difficulties, and a myriad of other kinds of difficulties that all humans experience. But for followers of Jesus, there's a second kind of difficulty. It's the difficulties you experience... Because you have decided to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you've put him in the forward part of your life as being obedient to him. Let me share a story with you about a couple of Christ followers who experienced that. Hudson and Maria Taylor. In September of 1853, a three-masted ship left England for China with a gaunt, wild-eyed, 21-year-old missionary aboard. His name was Hudson Taylor. And when he was a young teenager, he became a follower of Jesus. And at that time, he had the sense of being called to be a missionary, and not just any missionary, but also to be a missionary to take the good news of Jesus to the people of China. He immersed himself in reading the Bible and studying it and understanding. He immersed himself in prayer. And as he recognized that his call to being a missionary would require him to have other things that he needed to know, he began to study medicine, and and he also began to study the language of the Chinese, Mandarin. When When he arrived in China, he soon made a very radical decision to live among the people of China. And to do so, he decided to wear the simple clothes of a Chinese teacher rather than as the clothes of an Englishman. And he decided to grow a pigtail like all Chinese men wore at that time. Now, this decision actually brought a lot of criticism and shock from some of his fellow Western missionaries. But it opened doors to the people of China, opened doors to their hearts and minds. Now, it was written that Taylor, for his part, was not happy with how missionaries in that part of China were living, and he believed that they were very worldly because they spent too much time with English businessmen and diplomats who actually needed their services as translators. So instead, Taylor wanted to take the Christian faith, not along the coast of China, but into the interior of the country. So within months of arriving, And with the native language still being a bit of a challenge, he set off for the interior of the country. In 1857, when his mission agency could no longer pay him, He did not go back to England. Instead, he resigned and he became an independent missionary. Pouring himself into his work, his small church in inland China grew to 21 people. But in 1861, he became seriously ill. And that illness forced him to return to England to recover. But while he was there, he was still active. He began to work on a new translation of the Bible into Mandarin. He recruited more missionaries to go back to interior China. But he also battled his own emotional health. He was racked with doubt. He worried about sending men and women as missionaries into the unprotected parts of China. But at the same time, he despaired for the millions of Chinese people who were dying without the hope of the gospel. In 1865, he wrote in his diary, for two or three months, I had such intense inner conflict, I thought I would lose my mind. And during that time, a friend invited him to come out to the southern coast of England to Brighton for a break, for a time of renewal. And it was there, he writes, that he was walking along the beach, and the gloom, the depression that he was experiencing began to lift. This is what he wrote, there the Lord conquered my unbelief. And I surrendered myself again to God for this service. I told him that all responsibility as to the issues and the consequences of my life and my ministry must rest with him, and that as a servant, it was mine to obey him and to follow him." After this decision, Taylor founded a new mission. He called it the China Inland Mission. And within a year of that breakthrough, Taylor and his wife Maria and their four children and 16 young missionaries sailed from London to join five other missionaries already there working in China under Taylor's direction. As he continued to share the gospel in China, he continued to pray for more missionaries and and hundreds came, both men and women. And this was no easy decision for these young men and women to join the China Inland Mission because in doing so, it meant that you accepted the basic founding principles that Taylor had accepted all along in his mission work. He decided that there would be no guaranteed salaries, and they could not make appeals for funds, and they would simply have to trust God to supply for their needs. Furthermore, these missionaries would adopt the Chinese dress, that they would give up their Western clothes, and they would press the gospel further and further into the interior of China. And they came. Now Taylor's grueling work pace both in China and abroad was carried on despite his poor health and his bouts with depression. In 1900 it became too much and he had a complete physical and mental breakdown. The personal cost of his vision and his sense of calling was high on him and also on his family as well. His wife Maria died at the age of 33, and four of their eight children died before they reached the age of 10. Between his work ethic and his absolute trust in God, despite never soliciting funds, his mission grew and it prospered. He inspired thousands to forsake the comforts of Western living and bring the Christian message to the vast and unknown interior of the country of China. And by 1939, almost 200,000 Chinese and other minority people had come to faith in Christ in that country and had been baptized. Now, that's just a a high view, a a 30,000 foot view of the life of Hudson and Maria Taylor, but you can see how they were devoted followers of Christ and how in their devotion they experience both pain and suffering throughout life. Some of it just from life, but some of it because they put Christ and his call in their life first and foremost. Becoming a follower of Christ does not guarantee that your life will be free from suffering. There are some who would like to tell you that. They would like to say that if as you become a follower of Christ, you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That you will prosper But actually, that's no guarantee. That's not promised in Scripture. In the book of 1 Peter, we begin to understand the reasons that followers of Jesus Christ, who make Him Lord and Savior, suffer. And we learn how to handle that suffering and what it teaches us. So this morning, I want us to to look at that. And we're going to go through different sections of the book of 1 Peter. Here's the first thing you need to know that suffering teaches us. It teaches us that it's a test for us. Suffering tests us. It tests our commitment to Christ. Think about it. Have you ever set out to do something extremely difficult, extremely challenging, and along the way you found it really more difficult, more challenging than than you expected, and you found yourself suffering along the way? And some point in that process, you had to decide, Am I going to to take this on and endure more pain and suffering, or am I going to quit? You see, suffering tests us. If we're committed to a goal, it will. Athletes discover this when they push their body through repetitive practices, through strength training, through injuries to reach their goal. This type of suffering tests whether or not they will do whatever it takes to accomplish their goal. And it's the same for others. Whatever you aspire to, it's going to take work. Whether you aspire to write books, you're going to have to to take time to make time to do that. Whether you desire to be an accomplished musician, you're going to have to take time to practice and push through the, the mundaneness of playing the same thing over and over to reach your goal. Following Jesus also requires a commitment that we will do whatever it takes, no matter what. Because Think about it. You believe in Jesus, and so every day you have to decide, will you honor him and the power and authority of his word in your life and the way that you live? Or will you live the way everybody else lives? Will you take the low road and gossip and talk about people behind their backs at work? Or will you take the high road and think the best of others and seek to build them up and esteem them? Will you take shortcuts in your work, or will you seek to always do your best and work, as Scripture says, as if you were working for God rather than a human boss? Will you give in to the peer pressure of your friends and live and talk in ways that are not Christ-honoring, or will you honor Christ and face the ridicule of others for deciding to take His way of living rather than the world's way. This is what the Apostle Peter writes. He writes this in the first chapter of his letter. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Peter points out that there is gladness and joy knowing that suffering and trials will test you. Isn't that amazing? He's saying that you will be happy when you face that test. He says, if you endure that testing, it proves that your faith is genuine. that it's real. That's sincere. And the very next chapter, Peter goes on and he says that it's an active living faith if you believe in Jesus and still do good that he calls you to do, even though you suffer when you do it. Specifically, he writes, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in His steps. That's powerful. We're called to follow in the steps of Jesus. It's in following His example that the author of Hebrews wrote this about Jesus, saying, For the joy set before Him... He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think about that. For the joy set before Jesus, He endured the cross on our behalf. When we follow Jesus and we experience hardship and suffering, specifically because of our allegiance to Jesus, we will see that our faith is genuine. We'll see that there is a hidden blessing in the suffering because we're built up as we understand that we are being faithful to Him. Maybe you never thought about it this way, but, but actually experiencing trials and suffering as a follower of Jesus Christ actually helps your faith grow. Ajith Fernando is a Christian leader in Sri Lanka, and he ministers to the urban poor. And this is what he wrote. He said, the church in each culture has its own special challenges theological blind spots that hinder Christians from growing to full maturity in Christ. I think one of the most serious theological blind spots in the Western Church, and we're part of the Western Church, is a defective understanding of suffering. There seems to be a lot of reflection on how to avoid suffering, on what to do when we hurt. We have a a lot of teaching about escape from suffering and and therapy for, for suffering, but there is inadequate teaching about the theology of suffering. The good life, comfort, convenience, and painless life have become necessities that people view as basic rights. If they do not have these, they think something's gone wrong. One of the results of this attitude is a severe restriction of spiritual growth, for God intends us to grow through trials. So if you're experiencing suffering, persecution, testing because of your faith, trust that God's going to grow you in your faith. It's an opportunity to grow. It proves it's genuine. Here's the second thing that we learn from suffering. Suffering actually focuses us. How does it focus us? Look, when we go through suffering, it tends to make us focus on what's really important. It will purge the things that aren't important from our life. You've probably experienced this if you've ever suffered anything, whether it's for Jesus or or through something else. At that time, you sort of jettison all the extraneous things that don't really matter as you walk through that period. Listen to what Peter writes in chapter 4. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude He had, and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not saying that you'll never sin again. But if you've suffered for Christ, you'll recognize that some of those things, those sins that have been part of your signature sins in your life, they they just don't matter anymore. You just set them aside because you're anxious to do what God calls you to do. When we suffer for the sake of following Christ, do not let it discourage you. Let it encourage you to double down and follow Jesus even stronger. Choosing uh, to live our lives for the glory of God and embracing the values of the kingdom of God is going to put us in conflict with the ways of the world. But don't be discouraged by that conflict because the goal of our lives should not be to do what everyone else is doing. The goal of our lives should be to live for the glory of God. Now, you may be laughed at, you may be ridiculed, but what's more important, the praise of people Or the praise of God. Jesus said this in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he went on. Blessed are you when people insult you. Persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Because of me. Because of me you're experiencing suffering or persecution because of Jesus, that's okay. But we have to decide, will we live for Christ or will we live for the pleasures of this world? Let suffering for the name of Jesus focus you on what's really important. Here's the third thing suffering teaches us. Suffering unites us, and I'm going to explain how. Suffering for Christ draws us closer to Him, and it also unites us with other followers of Christ. In chapter 4, Peter writes these things. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trail trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed in all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or praying, prying into others' people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. When we suffer for Christ, it draws us closer to Him. We get a glimpse into what He endured for us. We understand His suffering at a deeper level. Now, in those verses, Peter makes an important distinction. In verse 15, I'll read it again. He says this, If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, that that doing sinful things like murder or stealing is not suffering for your faith. You're sinning, and you need to be held accountable for that. But then he mentions some other things that that really aren't sinful. He says, specifically making trouble or prying into other people's affairs, if you do these things and it causes you difficulty in your life, that's not suffering for Jesus. That's paying the consequences for your poor choices. And there's an application here that we all need to be aware of. For Christians, Jesus needs to be front and center in how we live our lives. And if we suffer for that, So be it. To God be the glory. But sometimes, sometimes we let other things be front and center in our lives. It may be something that then crowds out Jesus from being front and center in our lives. It could be our political views. It may be the candidate that we love. It it may be some cause that we're passionate about. Look, suffering for a political view or a cause isn't suffering for Jesus. Yes, Yes, your faith in Jesus informs your political and social views, but those things always have to take a back seat in your life to following Jesus. As Peter writes, we must not suffer for the secondary things, but for the primary thing, following Jesus and his name being the name by which we are called. That is the reason for us to suffer. Now, in the last chapter of his letter, Peter writes these words Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. So suffering actually has the ability to unite us with others in the body of Christ. When we suffer for Christ, we know that others have experienced the same thing that we're experiencing or worse. And there's a fellowship in knowing that others have endured what we have endured. Let me go back to Taylor and Maria Hudson. As I mentioned earlier, Maria died when she was 33. She died not long after giving birth to one of their children. And a fellow missionary witnessed the last moments that Hudson and Maria had together, and he captured their conversation. Hudson said to her, You're going home. Soon you'll be with Jesus. There was silence for a moment, and then Maria whispered, I'm so sorry. And Hudson looked at her and gently said, You're not sorry to go and be with Jesus. Oh, no, it's not that. But it does grieve me to leave you alone at such a time, yet he will be with you and meet all your needs. That missionary who stood by later wrote these things. He said, I've never witnessed such a scene as dear, Mr. Taylor, as dear Mrs. Taylor was breathing her last, Mr. Taylor knelt down and committed her to the Lord, thanking him for having given her to him for the twelve and a half years of happiness that they had together. A few days later, Taylor wrote in his journal, I cannot describe to you my feelings. I do not understand them myself. I feel like a person stunned with a blow or recovering from a faint and as yet but partially conscious. My father has ordered it, so therefore I know it is. It must be best, and I thank him for so ordering it. I feel utterly crushed. Oftentimes my heart is nigh to breaking, but withal, I had almost said I never never knew what peace and happiness were before. So much have I enjoyed in the very sorrow. As followers of Jesus Christ, hopefully you and I will never suffer like the tailors did. But scripture is clear. If we live our lives for Jesus, if we put him front and center in our lives, making him the Lord, the leader of our lives, accepting him as our Savior, the one who died to pay for our sins we too will experience suffering. Don't run from it, but embrace it. And let it encourage you to lean into Jesus even more. And I say this, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've not experienced difficulties because you're a follower of Jesus, then you have to say, am I really... Leaning into living for Jesus, is am I letting Him be Lord, being front and center in my life? Are people seeing Jesus in the way I live, in the decisions I make, in the way I interact with people, in the priorities in my life, in the way I love and serve others, with the words that I speak? Do whatever it takes to follow Jesus. And if you experience suffering for following Jesus, don't run from it, don't shrink from it, but count yourself worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.